Welcome back to the Todd Duncan Podcast. A member of the industry syndicate. This is where success happens. Todd's goal is to transform your business and life through deeper connections, higher trust, and proven strategies to help you win and give you your best life ever. Here's your host, Todd Duncan. It's not often, in my opinion, having run this event for 22 years, that you have the opportunity to sit up close and personal um, with a gentleman that, that I would say personifies success. Um, the guy that I'm about to bring up has become a very dear friend over the last five months. Uh, his name is Bill McDermott. Uh, he is the, uh, the, the chief executive officer of SAP. Uh, it is the world's software market leader. His story is extremely powerful. Uh, his employee base is nearing 80,000 people. Uh, his ecosystem for SAP exceeds 2 million people. They are the largest provider of cloud-based software. It's a program called Run Simple. They have 300,000 customers. They have 190 countries. Um, the, this is an amazing business. But I have to tell you that behind the amazing business is an even more amazing man. This guy is a street fighter. He's going to tell you his story. Um, the fact that he is here today, in my opinion, demonstrates the kind of courage that we want to have you demonstrate. He's got a company he's running, but because of my friendship with Darren and now my friendship with Bill, uh, he has accepted graciously the chance to be here to impact your life. So do me a favor, big mastery welcome for my friend, Bill McDermott. Good morning, everybody. What you got, man? You look I got you. I'm digging that suit. No, so do you. I got you, dude. Thank you. Um, this is an amazing, amazing man. And um, I just want to start. I mean, I saw your Facebook post three weeks ago. Yeah. And uh, blown away by what happened to you. And I'd like to start with that and right. just tell everybody. I mean, the fact that you're here yeah. in one swift <laughs> realization tells everybody the man you are. Thank you. Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah, it was uh, one of those amazing things. Um, you know, I visit my dad for his 76th birthday. We go out golfing, have this calm, cool, and collected nice dinner. And somehow I got this habit of always having that glass of water next to my bedside table. And somehow between a staircase, that glass of water, and my fall, I found myself waking up, coming out of an unconscious state in a forensic scene uh, pool of blood and fighting for my life. And what I learned, you know, more than anything, is your mind is so rational. Your mind just says, hey, big fella, just lay down and relax. Go to sleep. Take it easy on yourself. And you know, the second you stand up, life is about to get a whole lot harder on you. But your will has a different purpose for you in your life. And your will basically tells you, you have so much to live for. You have so much left to do. You gotta get up and make it out of here. And that's basically what I did. I got out of that house, um, crawled out to the tip of the driveway, 
um, screamed out for somebody to get me help, and somebody did. And the next thing I know, I was uh, in an intensive care unit for seven days and came out of that and went through several other surgeries. And, you know, a little over 90 days later, I'm sitting on this stage with you. And, of course, I lost my left eye, but I have gained so much more. Vision is not just what you see, but it's really how you feel and it's what you want to do to really move forward with your life and how your life can impact other people's lives. And only God can be so generous, first of all, to give you two eyes, but also be so generous to take something in a certain sense, but give you so much more in another sense. And I really feel even more passionate about the life I live today on this stage than I ever have before in my entire life. So I'm a lucky man, I'm a grateful man, and I'm a man with a purpose. So thanks for having me Amen, today. Amen, brother. Wow, <laughs> appreciate Thank you being here so much. Thank you very much. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, um, you know, this is, is this your first public appearance? This is, um, this is the first one like this. Um, last week I went back to, um, to Germany and I had my board meetings and so on for a week. Um, but that was really the first time I had been back up in the air in, uh, in three months. I've been on the job. I've been yeah. doing all my work. Um, and in fact, um, you know, we announced earnings and all those things and I was a part of all of it. I just hadn't been up in the air doing what I normally do. Yeah. But this is the first public appearance on a stage with winners like all of you who actually are here because you've committed yourself to being better than you were before you got to the conference. And I have no doubt that you will be, especially when I heard such an unbelievable, compelling and exciting speech um, from Darren. And I was just like backstage doing chest bumps with people uh, in excitement. So I'm sure this has been an amazing conference talk. Yeah. Well, we're going to have an amazing moment with Bill McDermott and um, your book, Winner's Dream. Yeah. I, I told you in Florida at Mar-a-Lago when we met that it was the most powerful book that I have ever read on business success. Right. And um, everybody in this room, you have a copy of Winner's Dream as a opportunity for you to grab today. Bill's going to be at our booth during the break and I encourage you to go up and meet this man and get a copy of this book for yourself, get it for your team. Uh, I don't endorse easily and I have to tell you that it's the best book that I have ever read on success. And what makes it so beautiful is it is your story. Yeah. And I think one of the questions I want to ask is, sure. is your early career really shaped, uh, was shaped by two very cool experiences. It was shaped by this whole idea of as a very young teenager, um, figuring out how to buy a, a delicatessen. Right. And, 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 and then through that whole experience, the, the next life-changing event in my mind in that book was the whole Xerox experience. Yeah. And what you did that was like off the charts, impossible right. to make Xerox happen. So talk to everybody about these two experiences. Sure. Well, thank you, Todd. You know, maybe the, the first thing on the delicatessen, you know, I come from a working class family in... Amityville, Long Island. You uh, might know Amityville more for the Amityville horror than my delicatessen business. But, you know, I'm a, a teenager at that time. I was working three jobs going to high school. 
and like many of you, I just wanted to be somebody in my life. And I felt the best way to do that was to work really hard and be self-sufficient and hopefully give something back to your family and so on. And I basically found myself in a situation where the owner was selling that delicatessen and I had convinced him after uh, several different dances to sell it to me for $5,500 in notes, 7,000 with interest. I pay him back in one year or I lose everything. That How was the deal. I was uh, 16. So at the time, you know, people didn't think it was possible because obviously I was broke. Otherwise, I wouldn't have needed the notes. I would have just gave them the money. And then there was no stock on the shelf. So how are you going to do it? Well, what I learned is you have to have an ecosystem. All of you, me, you, Todd, have to have an ecosystem. So I basically got all the people that deliver the goods to the store to cut a deal with me. I said, you give me the first shipment on consignment. I will never shop you. You'll probably charge me a little too much, but you got me started and I won't forget. And then I always owe you that original shipment if I ever sell the business or even go out of business. I will never walk away from owing you that money in the end. So I'm in business now. They all agreed to it. And what I tried to do, and I encourage you to think about, is I wanted to give my customer the things that my big competitors either couldn't give them or chose not to give them. So for example, I was competing against finest supermarkets, big supermarket. I was competing against 7-Eleven. <laughs> one is on my left and one is on my right. And both of them have deeper pockets. They are both corporations and my little old store is not gonna beat them just on business as usual. Right. So I figured out what it was that the customer wanted that they didn't give the customer. So in the case of Finest, they were very close to a senior citizen complex. What do we know about senior citizens? They'd actually prefer not to leave the house. So we deliver, they don't. And then with 7-Eleven, I go down there one day and there's all these nice kids lined up out the store, probably 30 people waiting online and only four people in the store. And this is a big store. So I said to the kids, why are you all waiting online out here? And they said, well, they think we're going to take things. So they only let us in four at a time. And I said, oh, ho, this is good. <laughs> and then I went to the mall one day, and I saw these kids banging on asteroids and Pac-Man machines with their parents' quarters. And I'm like, I got it. I get those, game, those games attached to my store with a little game room. And I let the kids in 40 at a time. So as soon as the honey was there, I drew the bees. They walked an extra block and a half to come to my store. And I treated the people really well. And kids just want to be treated like adults, just like adults want to be treated like kids. So <laughs> one day, one day a kid to underscore this strategy said to me, you know, Bill, when we want to have good food, be treated with dignity and respect and play video games, we come to your store. And when we want to steal stuff, we go to 7-Eleven. <laughs> so, but look, I'm like you. I wanted to get ahead in life. And after four years of college running this business and buying my parents a beach house in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and doing some fun things, I said, I want to be a, a star like yourself, Todd, wear a suit and tie, get professionally trained, and really pick up my game. And I felt that New York City was the place to do that. So I did a direct mail campaign for my first job at Xerox. They invited me in for an interview. And after 
clear in the hiring center in about seven interviews that day. I'm at 9 West 57th Street in New York. I'm sitting next to another young man, like Tin Men, on a bench, waiting to see the big boss in the corner office. And I actually think he either forgot about us or they were testing our will. So I gave a little note to the secretary who was managing that desk and I said, please tell Mr. Fullwood I'm in no rush. I'll wait all day to see him, but I wanted him to know that I'm not leaving. So whenever he wants to see me, I'll be ready to go. She obviously carries that into him. Two seconds later, I'm in the meeting. Now, here it is. There are certain moments in your life where you know this is your moment. So I go in to this office overlooking Central Park South on the 38th floor of the 9 West 57th. They used to call it the Avon Building then. Very sharp man, well-dressed, polite, dignified class. And we get into this terrific conversation. And at the end, he said, well, Bill, this has been a real fun, fun pleasure for me to meet you. Thank you very much. You're a very passionate guy, and I like that. The HR department's going to be in touch with you in a couple of weeks. What he didn't know is that morning, my dad had driven me to the Long Island Railroad. And my house was a house on a concrete slab. And every time we had a high tide, the Great South Bay would come into my house. And that day, I had four feet of water in that house. My brother carried me on his shoulder to my dad's car. My dad drove me to Long Island Railroad. Now, this is what's going on in my mind, that moment of truth, when Darren showed you Jordan and Woods. And I'm thinking to myself, in my $99 suit, my dad, who splices cable for a living for Con Edison, make sure I don't get wet. I drove in on that railroad, and I'm ready to win today. When I got out of the car with my dad, I said, Dad, I guarantee you I'm coming home tonight with my employee badge in my pocket. So your mind has to prepare for the moment. You cannot take no for an answer in your own mind. When the moment of truth came, the HR department's going to be in touch with you in a couple of weeks. I said, Mr. Fullwood, I don't think you completely understand the situation, sir. <laughs> he tilts his head to the side, kind of like, what's up with this kid? And I said, I haven't broken a promise to my father in 21 years, and I cannot start now. I guaranteed my father I was coming home tonight with my employee badge in my pocket. I said nothing else. He looks at me again, this time tilting the other way and the other way, and he said, Bill McDermott, as long as you have not committed any crimes, you are hired. And I said, well, Mr. Fullwood, I certainly haven't committed any crimes, sir, so are you sure that means I'm hired? And he goes, yes, it does. So of course, I went around, I picked him up, you know, danced him around the room a little bit, and uh, gave him a bear hug, probably squeezed the polo right out of his tie, and then I headed to the elevator, ran down to 57th, between 5th and 6th, there was a bun and burger on the corner. You know, those days you had to put quarters in the phone. We didn't have these cell phones. And I called up my mom and dad. And I said, Mom and Dad, I just want to let you know I, I, I got the job. I'm coming home tonight. We're going to celebrate. Break out the core bell. <laughs> so, so, you know, that's how it all started at Xerox. And there's some really fun stories on the sales side, if you care for me to elaborate on any of them. Yeah, I want to I ask one question first, and then I want to get into that, especially the sales team stuff, because I, sure. I dig that. But 
what happened to you in your life that caused you that morning to say to your dad, I'm not coming home without my badge? What, what is the wiring, the lessons, the background? Because I think to Darren's point about fear and to you changing yeah. the game on Xerox, exactly. you made something happen that doesn't happen. Right. What's the backdrop to that? Well, I think the backdrop is you always have to be in integrity with who you really are. And courage comes in many different forms. That day was the manifestation of many years of hard work. Having seen my dad work two and three jobs. I remember my father scraping off ice on his windshield to go to Con Edison at two o'clock in the morning because he was called in because there was an explosion in a manhole in the city and he had to work on those things in the middle of the night. I saw my mother um, go through many different trials and tribulations, including lose a child. And I saw a family that financially struggled and, and lots of different challenges with money. And I thought to myself, this is my day. This is the day where everything can change. Today. So everybody else that I saw coming from more affluent backgrounds, great schools, fantastic neighborhoods, fathers that might have even been working for IBM and other great companies with that real pedigree, you know? They show up with the pedigree, and you show up with the $99 suit. And you think to yourself, what is the difference? What, what was that difference? What was it? And I know exactly what it was. I wanted it so much more than they did. I would be sitting around with them, you know, in between going into the interviews, and I would resort right away to what I know best. You know, it's a little intimidating when they say, I went to Princeton and I live in Greenwich, Connecticut, and you're like coming out of the delicatessen from Amityville, Long Island, in your $99 suit. But they would say things like, well, I'm interviewing here, I'm interviewing at Merrill Lynch and Goldman, and I got lots of things going on. I only had one thing going on, and that was that day, that job. And nobody wanted it more than me. And that was a big, big difference. And the other thing was, everybody felt like they were, in some sense, testing their opportunities or interviewing. I was fighting for my life. Like, I really believed that was my day. And if I didn't get the job, my life could have gone in one direction. But I had the chance to control the odds and get that job. And therefore, I was controlling my own destiny. I was going to will that to happen no matter what. Frankly, before that, I had exercised that in my mind, and then since that, every time there's been a big moment where I have to show up, whether it was a big sale and the preparation and the belief that goes into that, or it was climbing the corporate ladder or wanting to be something or accomplish something in your life, you first have to convince you that this is the thing above all others at that moment in time that you've earned the right to compete for and win. And you give it everything that you've got. So when, when I go into those situations, it's not that I'm any more brave than anybody else. I am just completely flawless in my belief that I'm a winner and that I can get it done. And that what I lack in one area or another, I will more than make up for with my strengths and my passion and my desire to win. Is there a connection between that just insane kind of 
attitude and early lessons mm -hmm. from your dad? I know we talked about teams in the book and talent and all that, but what, what impact did that part of your life have on then that kind of approach to the, the Xerox? Team? A lot. You know, my dad, um, my grandfather was a professional basketball player, was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 88. So in our family, you kind of didn't do well at the family barbecues if you couldn't play hoops. And my dad coached. I was a coach with my dad. I was a player. I was always taught teamwork. I was taught the idea of the team getting the basket, not you getting the basket, as being the ultimate goal, and obviously of winning being the ultimate goal, but how you won really, really mattered. Um, so as you get your own individual accomplishments, you focus on what it is you bring to the equation. I teach people all the time, focus on what you do well, often. In a certain sense, don't focus on what you don't do so well at all in public. In other words, don't try to be something you're not. Be so super authentic in your own skin about what you're really good at and be super humble about what you're not. I love people that know what they do well and also know what they don't do so well. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be intellectually curious to fix what you don't do so well. But there's really no upside in trying to fool people that you're good at something that you're not. And there's really no upside in working on that during your working hours. You do that after the day is done. Right. <laughs> um, so people get to see your magic and your confidence at what you're magic at. And then also your self-confidence in what you're not so good at. And that's why you team up with people that have skills that you don't. And ultimately when you know, you're the leader and you're running things, you should sit at a table where you're the least talented at every position, except one, leadership because you were smart enough to put people in those jobs that are so much more gifted than you, but as a team, you all come together in such a powerful and compelling way that there's no other team like you. <clears throat> so let's, let's then go into Xerox, because I love some of the stories of how you had to compete on the streets. Right. And I love some <laughs> of, no, seriously, because we're, you know, we're talking about courage, we're talking about not giving up. You did not plan on losing your eye. You did right. not you know, plan on having there's nothing that happens that's bad that anybody is actually planning on having happen because right. it's bad. Um, you made the best and you clawed your way through the sales system at Xerox. Yeah. What were some of the early sales stories? And then I think one of the most remarkable parts of the book were the early sales teams that you began to build. So let's yeah. talk about that for a little bit. Well, I, you know, one of the early stories, let's go to trainee. You know, you're a, you're a trainee, you're just starting out. By the way, always be nice to the trainees. You were one once too. <laughs> so it's 95 degrees, it's an August day. I just got out of the training class and now you have to start traveling with the more experienced, more talented account managers. And in those days, we had this electronic typewriter that weighed about 200 pounds. <laughs> and we had copy machines that you could sort of like put in these bags and carry on your back if you were a 21 year old horse like me coming out of the training class. And when you travel with someone that was experienced, of course, they gave you all the lousy jobs. So that's what I was doing. We get up to this brownstone in Manhattan. And if you know anything about brownstones, they don't have elevators. They have stairwells, especially the old ones. All right. So I had to go up four levels with the copier on my back, the memory writer typewriter in one hand, my briefcase full of brochures and contracts in the other. And I get up to the top. Now I could feel the sweat coming down my cheeks. 
I walk into this unbelievable brownstone, the doors open. This woman's like across from me in this Chanel suit, looking gorgeous and full of life and smart. And all of a sudden, with all this stuff going on, bam, this giant cat lands on my $99 suit and takes those claws half an inch deep into my skin. Now, I wasn't in the least bit worried about the skin, but the suit was gonna be a problem getting those claws out without the tears, you know? But instead of getting all messed up about that, I just held the cat and I kind of petted the cat. And I, I, I was loving the cat, you know, I love the cat. And the owner's looking at this and Obviously, she loves the cat, too. She gave it the presidential job in the company. Um, it was just her and the cat. Uh, so one of them's going to make the decision today. I figured it was probably the cat. And, uh, you know, she looks at me and she says, you, you, absolutely, you absolutely love animals, don't you? And I said, especially cats. <laughs> and, <laughs> and um, you know... And, and the fact is, on this cat, you know, Garfield has nothing on this cat. This cat's the deal. So we're having the greatest talk about cats, and then I start talking about this restaurant I used to work at in Amityville with the town uh, drunk who had the dog Leo because she loved German Shepherds too, and we get into this whole conversation. Now, the guy I'm traveling with looks over at me like, kid, you're screwing up my sale. Plug in that machine, do the demonstration, let's close this deal and get out of here. So I never did that. So sales professionals, forget the rule book. The rule book, seriously, is for trainees. You should read the rule book, but in the end, it's up to you to read the room and react to the conditions that are right in front of you. The reaction was we connected on an emotional level and there was no point in dummying it down to a demonstration. So I simply asked her, do you need to see a demonstration? Because this typewriter works just like that old one you got over there, only it's electronic so it's a lot faster and easier to use. And this copier, unlike the one that's broken over there, it actually works and you just hit the green button and it makes copies. How many would you like today? And she said, how many do you think I need? And I said, well, a couple of them would be nice. And she said, I'll take it, honey. And I said, okay, you know, press down real hard and you get the middle copy and we roll. <laughs> and we get down to the street and the guy turns to me. It's a true story. He looks at me in the eye and he said, Bill McDermott, you're either going to be the CEO of Xerox or you're going to jail. <laughs> and I said, I said, wow, that's, that's quite a you know, gap, but I'll take it. And um, interestingly, years later, I digress slightly, but I think you'll appreciate this. I'm not making it up. I go on an assignment, sort of quasi-internationally, calls me up one night to be a character witness because he had gotten arrested in a sting operation at a bar in Manhattan for dealing drugs. I'm not kidding you. So there's so many stories. I didn't put that in the book, but I give you that today. It's kind of like an under-the-door story. You'd love that one. You know, so the idea, and this was the competition at Xerox. I mean, I loved this company. And I loved being the best in the world at what I did for a living, especially among so many great talents. 
and in that training class that I came out of, you know, it was an honor to compete with those individuals, and I love that. And one day I get called into the boss's office and she said, you know, Bill, this person that was in your training class is actually going neck and neck with you for number one in the world. How do you explain how you do something and then he immediately responds? <laughs> I said, I don't know. I guess he's just a competitive dude. She said, no, Bill, I know he's a friend of yours, but he's been selling machines to dead people in the obituary column of the Daily News now for months, and we have to fire him. So, so the, the thing that you got to realize about competition and about excellence is that you always have to simulate your behaviors, not just to be the best in the world at what you do, but always remember your actions need to I like to say, clear the New York Times test, where if they put your picture in the paper and they tell your life story, you'd be so proud of it. And it's not just being number one, it's being the best. And best doesn't happen just by making the most sales. Best happens because you have a character and integrity about you that will endure generations far after you're gone. They'll be talking about your class That'll be better than all the rankings and all the records in the end. Don't forget that because a lot of people mess it up. Yeah. Um, wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thanks for being part of today's episode. I've got a special gift for you. I want to make sure you are aware of. I just released a 25-page ebook entitled "The Five Irrefutable Principles of a High-Performance Business." These five principles are game-changing. There's a lot of methods towards success, but if you ignore the principles, it's very, very hard to know that those methods will work. Go to the show notes below. Just click on the link, download this 25-page ebook, and see what kind of impact it can make in your business and your life.